Good morning and welcome to Cornerstone Presbyterian. My name's Campbell Markham, one of the pastors here, and it's my great joy and privilege to bring to you God's Word this morning. We're going to look at the crucifixion of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Now, when I go into town, I like to see the doors of the shops open. I like to see the lights on. I like to see people in those shops ready to welcome me. Even if it's a shop that I'm never going to enter, like a hairdressing salon or a health food shop or a shop that sells knickknacks. Open doors, lights on, that gives me a good feeling. That says to me, you're welcome. And that's why downtown Hobart, like so many other cities right now, seems such a sad place. There are hardly any people there. Most shopkeepers have turned off the lights, have locked the doors and have gone home. And those dark locked spaces say to me, you can't come in here, you're no longer welcome. When we think of God, we may think of him as being unwelcoming. We may think of him as being all the way up there in heaven and we can't see him. And when we try to speak to him, when we pray to him, we have no indication that he hears us. It seems that heaven's lights are off. It seems that the door is locked. We don't feel welcome. And if that's how you feel, then your feelings are not entirely wrong. When Israel was in the desert, God taught them to build a tabernacle. And this was God's tent in the midst of their tents. And God's tent consisted of three concentric barriers. The outermost part of the tabernacle was a courtyard surrounded by a screen more than two metres high. Within the courtyard, there was a tent called the holy place. And this was well covered in thick layers of fabric and waterproof skins. And within the holy place, there was a smaller room barred by a heavy curtain. And this smaller room was called the most holy place. And there in that most holy place was God's ark, God's throne. And strict laws forbade anyone, well, almost anyone, from entering in to those holy places. Looking from the outside, God seemed very remote. He seemed quite inaccessible. The lights seemed to be off. The doors seemed to be locked. Now, why did God arrange things like this? Why did he so carefully screen himself off from his people? Well, that's because of sin. That's because God is holy and just and must punish our sin. If Israel had come face to face with 
the living, holy and just God, they would have died for their sins. As we read in Romans 6 verse 33, the wages of sin is death. God hid himself in the tabernacle to protect his people, for a sinner cannot safely come face to face with the presence of the living, holy and just God. Yet, once a year, an animal was sacrificed for the people's sins. And the high priest took the blood of that sacrifice into the holy place. And then he would pass behind the heavy curtain of the most holy place to present that blood before the Ark of the Covenant. The people were separated from God because of their sin. The sacrifice dealt with that sin. The blood of the sacrifice caused for a brief moment the curtain between God and his people to part. There was a crack of light. There was a glimmer of reconciliation. Not true reconciliation because the blood of an animal can never pay the human sin. It was a picture and a taste of reconciliation. In fact, it was a promise of reconciliation. A promise that God would one day send a true sacrifice for our sins that would pass through that curtain and would bring openness and reconciliation between the holy God and sinful humanity. Now that heavy dividing curtain hung there in the tabernacle for four centuries until about 1000 BC when King Solomon replaced the tabernacle with a magnificent temple of gold and, and stone. But although that temple was magnificent and beautiful, that heavy dividing curtain still hung there, separating God from humanity. Centuries later, the Babylonian army burned down Jerusalem and Solomon's temple and exiled the people. And though the returning exiles built a new temple, that heavy dividing curtain was still there. Later, in about 20 BC, Herod the Great built a grand new temple in Jerusalem, a magnificent complex. And yet, that heavy dividing curtain was still there. For 14 centuries, God's throne was separated from his people by a heavy curtain. Right up until a certain Friday afternoon in about 30 AD. We see Jesus Christ at that time, a good man, a sinless man, the Son of God. The Jewish religious leaders at the time, they hated Jesus' popularity. They hated even more that he called himself God's Son. And so they arrested him and brought him before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And they urged Pilate to put Jesus to death. 
And so the Roman soldiers scourged Jesus. And then they draped his bloodied back with a purple robe and pressed a crown of thorns upon his brow. They placed a staff in his hands and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they took that staff and they beat him some more. Then they made him carry a cross to Golgotha, outside the walls of Jerusalem. And Golgotha means the place of the skull. They stripped him. They made him lie down on that cross. And then they drove iron nails through his hands and through his feet, pinning him to that cross. And then they hoisted him up so that everyone could watch him die. And while he hung on the cross, something extraordinary happened. And this is where we pick up Mark's account of the crucifixion of Jesus in chapter 15 from verse 33. Mark tells us that at noon, while Jesus was hanging on that cross, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. Now, Mark is not describing an eclipse here. The ancient peoples knew all about eclipses. They could predict them centuries in advance. This was a supernatural darkness. This was God withdrawing his light from the world. God's judgment from, for the sin of the world. When the sun, stars and moon will be blotted out, broke into the world at that moment. The darkness was a sign of God's judgment. But upon whom did that judgment fall? Look there at verse 34. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, some of you may have seen Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. And I think that that is a remarkable movie. I think Mel Gibson treats the subject of Jesus' death with real respect. We've all seen a hundred crucifixes, pictures or images of Jesus' crucifixion. We've all seen a hundred paintings of Jesus' death. And I think we can agree that they tend to portray the death of Jesus as a rather peaceful affair. Mel Gibson reminded us of the truth, that every nerve was pierced and seared, and every shred of dignity and humanity was torn away from Jesus at his death on Golgotha. Mel Gibson reminded us of the raw, revolting horror of being nailed to a cross to die. I thank Mel Gibson for his movie. 
And yet, I think it misses the point. The real horror, and this is not and really could not be portrayed in the movie, the real horror is that on that cross, we see a man suffering the pains of hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the opening words of Psalm 22, which have been written by David about a thousand years before that. And Psalm 22 was a prophecy fulfilled with Jesus' blood-curdling cry of horror for the ferocity of God's judgment. It is the howl of a man in the lake of fire. It is the howl of a man receiving God's final and fierce punishment of hell. For Mark, it is so important that we hear this cry, that he records it in the very Aramaic words that Jesus spoke at that moment. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Mark wanted us to hear the very sounds that were heard on that day. And we hear that Jesus cried out to God, Why have you forsaken me? Jesus was God's only begotten Son. Why have you forsaken me? Your Son, cried Jesus. Me, who has only ever loved you, who has only ever kept your law perfectly and completely. Verse 35, we read that when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, they said. Eloi sounds a bit like Eliah, which is Aramaic for Elijah. And some people thought that Jesus was calling the great Old Testament prophet to come and rescue him. And someone moistens the parched lips of Jesus with a wine-soaked sponge. Then they spoiled that small act of kindness with sarcastic contempt. Now let's see if Elijah comes down to rescue him, to take him down from the cross. And this contempt further fulfills the words of Psalm 22, where David said, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And this mocking that was predicted in Psalm 22, and which was heard at the foot of the cross, drives home Jesus' 
utter dereliction. And then, verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Here is a man who died two deaths, the first and second deaths, the first death of the body and the second death of the body and soul in hell. Jesus drank the last dregs of the cup of God's wrath for our sins. Mark tells us that at that very moment, when Jesus, with a loud cry, breathed his last, at that very moment in the city of Jerusalem, at the temple, could be heard a loud ripping sound. And he, he tells us in verse 38 that the curtain of the temple Remember that curtain? It was still hanging in Herod's temple on that day. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That ancient heavy barrier dividing God from sinful humanity was torn into two. Notice that it was torn from top to bottom. No human being tore that curtain. Heaven tore that curtain in two. God ripped up that curtain at that moment. Now remember that once a year, when a sacrifice was made, the curtain was parted to allow the high priest to go in with the blood of the sacrifice. Once a year, for just a moment, the curtain was parted. Now, with the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for the sin of the world, the curtain is not just parted, it is fully and permanently torn up. And this tells us that at that moment, God has fully and completely reconciled himself to his people. Now, I want to say to those who are listening to this today, today who are Christians, I want to say to you, listen to how the, the Apostle Paul explains this, explains the things that we have seen here from the Gospel of Mark. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. If, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Note that all that Paul says is in the past tense. The blood of Jesus has justified you, says Paul. The blood of Jesus has reconciled you to God. It is finished. 
The curtain was not torn up to make your reconciliation possible. Paul says it was torn up to accomplish your reconciliation. God did not tear down that curtain and say like a restaurateur to customers on the street, I've opened the doors. Why not come in? Paul tells us that God unbarred the way, tore down the barrier, and carried you in. Christ has reconciled you to God. Your reconciliation is accomplished. It's perfect, complete, and permanent. Now listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. God has reconciled you. Note that past tense again. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. The devil, and Satan means accuser, well, he accuses you for your sin and says things like, how do you, who do all these awful sinful things, how do you think that you're going to heaven? And you may accuse yourself with the same kind of words. The death of Jesus, the death of his physical body, has torn up that dividing curtain between you and God. He has reconciled you, says Paul. In Jesus Christ, therefore, you are free from accusation. Free from accusation. God held your sin against him. Let me say that again. God held your sin against him, against his son. And that means he will never hold it against you. We are free from accusation because of the death of Jesus. And listen to what the book of Hebrews says about this in chapter 10, verses 19 to 21. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? In the tabernacle, the high priest could only enter that most holy place once a year. It was barred from everyone else. It was a fearsome place. And Hebrews says, we have confidence. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Hebrews says that, in effect, that dividing curtain was, was just like Jesus' body. And when Jesus' body was torn on the cross, God tore that curtain and opened that way to himself. So we can come to God with confidence, without fear, 
without a guilty conscience. When you grasp that the dividing curtain was torn in two from top to bottom at the moment of Jesus' death, then you can look to God as your Father and know that he loves you and you can come to him with confidence and without fear and without that guilty conscience. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, there's something that I want to say to you from Mark chapter 15. This is if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure if you're a Christian. I want you to look at the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and see the heart of God. You might feel that God is very distant. You might feel that God doesn't hear you, that God doesn't care about you. You might feel as though the lights of heaven are off and the door is barred and that you're not welcome into the house of God. Look at Jesus crucified and you will see the opposite. Your separation from God caused by your sin, well, that, that grieved God. And that's why he sent his son. That's why he sent his son for you, to die for your sin, to tear up that curtain, that, that barrier that separated you. God wanted to be reconciled to you. He wanted that barrier to be removed. By the death of his son, by that torn curtain that we see in Mark chapter 15, God speaks to you and he says, come back to me, turn from your sin which separates us, which brings you under my judgment and anger. Believe in my son and we will be reconciled. And you can do that any time. You can express that any time. At any time, you can kneel at the side of your bed and pray that God will forgive you for your sin and that Jesus will save you. And you can know that God will do exactly that because at the moment his son died, that dividing curtain was torn in two. That, that prayer, asking God for forgiveness, asking Jesus to save us, that's how the Christian life begins. And it continues by listening to God, by reading his word. And it continues by speaking to God. And that means praying to him. And the Bible teaches us how to pray to God. And the Psalms in the middle of the Bible are particularly helpful there. And the Christian life continues with Christian fellowship. If you want to be a part of a Christian fellowship, send us an email, send us a message at Cornerstone Presbyterian, and we will tell you how you can get involved with our church community at this time. On this Good Friday morning, let us 
hear the word God and what it says to us today. Christ has died. The curtain is torn in two. The door is open. The lights are on. Christians, praise God that he has reconciled you to himself through the death of his son. Those who are not yet Christian or are not sure, be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ today. Amen.